Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to the August 2015 CTSS quiz. I have 10 terrific cases for you, and hopefully you'll get them all right, but more importantly, hopefully you'll learn something from them. So let's get started with case number one. This is an interesting case. When you look at the images quickly, you see what appears to be a large mass infiltrating the right hilum, and then you look more carefully, and it's really infiltrating the pulmonary artery, both the left main pulmonary artery the main pulmonary artery, but also in the right pulmonary artery. And you say, well, perhaps this is extensive pulmonary embolism. But, you know, when you have PE, you still usually see the vessel rim. And this is not just clot within the vessel, but the entire vessel is expanded. Uh, it's not a lung cancer because it's not direct extension. It's not lymphoma. What could it be? Well, this was a pulmonary artery sarcoma. Pulmonary artery sarcomas are very rare, and they present almost like pulmonary emboli. The thing is, the patients are treated for PE and doesn't get better. And that's when you need to be thinking about a pulmonary artery sarcoma. Very aggressive tumors. Some institutions will resect them aggressively. Chemotherapy does not work in these patients. And again, you can see in this case, it's a beautiful example, very, very extensive tumor. This patient has a history of endocarditis, and I want to know what the best diagnosis is. Well, we're looking at the kidneys in axial coronal views. You see a wedge-shaped defect with minimal stranding by the left kidney. That's not a renal cell carcinoma. Theoretically, you can think about an inflammatory thing like an abscess, but the wedge shape really helps you make the diagnosis of infarcts. Obviously, it's not a flow-related change. You typically don't get those in the kidneys except on early phase imaging and you don't get them as wedge-shaped defects. So this is a very nice example of a renal infarct. In this case, I want to know what the key finding is, and I gave you a few different uh, choices about bowel, ileus, obstruction, ischemic bowel. And when you look at the bowel, it looks perfectly normal to me. There's some positive contrast in place. What I want you to notice on these two images, one's the 3D and one's the axial, is that the patient's uh, gastrostomy tube is in poor position. In fact, the tube is in the patient's left rectus muscle. And most of the time we look at the G-tubes, they're in perfect position, but other times they're not. Sometimes they're in the abdominal wall, sometimes they're malpositioned. I've seen them go into colon, I've seen them go through stomach. So it's very important when you're looking at tubes to make certain they're in the right place. And in this case, obviously, it was not. This is an interesting case, and I'm asking, what's the cause for the patient's left hydronephrosis? You can see the patient has a small atrophic right kidney as well, which is a good sign or with the diagnosis that we're going to come up with. But what's causing left hydronephrosis? And we know anything from stones to tumors are all possibilities. And when you scan down at about the L5 level, you see this soft tissue infiltration around the iliac vessels. It could be lymphoma, but lymphoma is more mass-like. And the other thing is it tends to displace or compress vessels, not have the vessels look smaller. TCC of the ureter, I guess, could be a theoretical possibility, but that would obstruct the ureter, and you would see a mass, not this infiltrating process. Aortic aneurysms, I don't see one. And so you get down to the process of retroperitoneal fibrosis, classically an infiltrating process, encases the aorta, and traps the ureters, which would explain why not only do we see hydronephrosis of the left kidney, but why the right kidney is so uh, atrophic, probably due to chronic obstruction. Retroperitoneal fibrosis can simulate lymphoma. It can be a very, very tricky diagnosis, but this is a most classic example. This patient has abdominal pain, and I want to know what the best diagnosis is. 
When you look at the images both from axial and coronal, you see a large fatty tumor. And when you look at all the images, you realize the tumor is actually in the transverse colon. I would have guessed stomach without looking at the images in the sense that lipomas of the stomach are probably the most common location. But you can see lipomas of the colon. You can see them of the small bowel as well. In this case, it's creating a mass effect. It's creating almost obstruction. I would have guessed at some point this patient probably had an intussusception, and maybe we're seeing the patient after the intussusception has been reduced. This is not a small bowel process, so it's not a small bowel intussusception. It's not a colon cancer, though you could have thought about that. And it's not a liposarcoma, though it does contain fat. Very nice example of a very large, large bowel lipoma. In this case, I'm asking you what's the least likely diagnosis. What are we looking at? We're seeing a tumor in the region of the junction of tail and body of the pancreas. The tumor has like a mixed attenuation. The images are slightly noisy because the patient is markedly obese. But location, you might think of an MCN, a mucinocystic neoplasm, perfect location, classically in female, typically in their 40s and 50s. Spent tumor, typically it's female, but it's younger in the teens and 20s, but it can be older, so it's a possibility. Cirrhosis adenoma, the lesion is well-defined, perhaps it's somewhat cystic, that's a thought. The least likely is a neuroendocrine tumor because the majority of pancreatic neuroendocrine tumors on arterial phase imaging are hypervascular. So I said that's the least likely diagnosis. Now in saying that, I do have a number of neuro neuroendocrine tumors I've seen that are really not hypervascular, so it doesn't always need to be hypervascular. So I guess I might give you part credit if you chose a different answer. This is a fairly straightforward case, but I wanted to show this and I asked for the best diagnosis. What you see is diffuse bladder wall thickening from about 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock. And when you look at the coronals, you can see calcification. When I see bladder wall thickening with calcification, yes, it could be TB. Yes, it could be an infectious process like leukoplakia, chronic inflammation. Cystitis usually is diffuse wall thickening and doesn't have calcification, unless it's long-term, possibly from chemotherapy. The classic diagnosis of a bladder mass with calcification is going to be bladder cancer. And indeed, that is the answer in this case. This patient had an incidental splenic lesion, and most splenic lesions we see are going to end up being benign. We talk about that in the incidentaloma section of uh, CT is Us. When you look at the lesion, you can see the lesion has on the early phase imaging a bit of peripheral enhancement. And then when you go to the venous phase, the lesion fills in. If I showed you this in the liver, you would say it's a classic hemangioma of the liver. I've mentioned that hemangiomas of the spleen often don't behave like hemangiomas of the liver, but this is one case that does peripheral enhancement and filling in over time. This is not a hamartoma. Hamartoma is usually low density, a bit larger. Lymphoma would not have this enhancement pattern, and it's surely not a cystic lesion, so it's not an epithelial cyst, it's not an epidermoid cyst, and it's not a hydatid cyst. Excellent example of splenic hemangioma. This is an interesting case, and I love these coronal views. With volume rendering, you see the patient has multiple cysts in the liver, patient's polycystic liver disease, but look along the lesser curvature of the stomach, there's an exophytic lesion which has faint calcification or enhancement. That's not the pattern of lymphoma, and it's surely not the pattern of adenocarcinoma. 
theoretically, it could be metastatic disease from a melanoma. Melanoma goes into the wall. It can present with oh so many different appearances. But most classically, this is a GIST tumor, gastrointestinal stromal tumor. 70% occur in the stomach. Occasionally, they're intraluminal with ulcerations, but most commonly, they're exophytic. At times, it can be hard to determine whether they arise from or push against the stomach. This lesion is under 5 centimeters. Over 5 centimeters, these lesions are usually considered malignant. This would probably be in the borderline category. This patient has a mass, and when you look carefully, there's some neovascularity. There also is some hemorrhage. So if I ask you what the least likely diagnosis is, well, hepatoma probably is my first diagnosis. Large mass, vascularity, stretching of the vessels. Hepatic adenoma would be right there, and with the bleeding, hepatic adenoma may be more likely than hepatoma, but we know hepatomas uh, can also bleed in up to 25% of cases, so both are really good. I put down FNH, it's probably not a great uh, description for FNH, but I thought perhaps uh, this lesion could have bled, and occasionally FNH's post-biopsy will bleed. It's rare before biopsy, but this surely does not look like hemangioma unless the hemangioma would have bled. And I'll tell you that I've never seen a hemangioma bleed unless the patient's been biopsied. So I'll say the least di likely diagnosis for a liver mass that has bled is going to be hemangioma with a small asterisk that if the patient did have trauma and you had a large hemangioma or if the patient had a biopsy, you weren't sure of the lesion, then it can bleed. But typically, hemangiomas do not bleed. So with that, I've given you 10 terrific cases. I hope you enjoy them. Hope you learned something, and I hope to see you next month. Take care. Bye-bye.